0: Good morning! I want to take my notes and throw them away. And I just want to praise God this morning and pray and sing for about three days. I am excited this morning. It is wonderful to see so many faces that we have not seen in a long time due to a myriad of things. I am grateful to see those faces. I am so grateful for all of our young people. It was one of the dearest things in my day to see all of you coming back down that hallway this morning. I am excited, grateful to the elders, grateful that we had class this morning. I understand that our Bible class attendance this morning was 70. I believe that we're somewhere around 90 right now this morning in the auditorium. That is awesome, and I am grateful to God Almighty for allowing this to happen. I'm grateful as I walked through Walmart the other day. The masks are in the clearance section. Doesn't mean we're out of this thing, but what it does mean is is that we are getting there and God is answering our prayers, and for that, I am grateful. No, we're not through, but you know what? We're a lot better off than we were about, oh, 10 months ago. So praise God. I will try to control myself and preach what I have for notes, okay? Just saying. (sighs) Had to get that out. Please take out your Bibles turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, during my Wednesday evening devotional about a week and a half ago, I encouraged every member of this congregation, young and old, if you can punch numbers on a cell phone young and old, to please reach out to two or three members of the congregation whom you haven't been in contact with or been able to speak to for a number of months. And I certainly hope that over this past week and a half that most everybody has done that. And if you haven't, I hope that you will, just because you can't change the past, but you can change the future. So if you haven't been able to this week with the cold and everything going on, whatever, I hope that you can. And the reason I hope that you can is because I know the joy that comes on both ends of that conversation. When you contact somebody that hasn't been contacted, hasn't been reached out to in a long time, I'm telling you all you gotta do is say hello, this is so and so and they've been so lonely and isolated, they'll talk and you won't have to worry about a topic and that's awesome. But it brings joy on both sides of that conversation that only such Christian love and care and concern and fellowship can truly bring about. And again, we have a lot of young people this morning. I wanna encourage everybody Teenagers, call a member of the congregation you haven't seen for a long time. Just say, hey, wanted to let you know I was thinking of you. You can all do that. How many of your teenagers have a cell phone? How many of your teenagers are going to be honest? How many of your teenagers have a cell phone? Okay, Call somebody. It won't hurt. As you may recall, I began that devo by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. This morning. I want you to turn as i said to that same text again and i'd like to begin with only part of that reading i want to begin in verse 20. and now indeed 1 corinthians 12 20 there are many members yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you no much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or divide in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another all of the members should have care for all of the other members no matter who they are no matter where they are no matter which part of the body that they are and if one member suffers doesn't matter who it is all the members suffer with it or if one member is honored all the members rejoice with it now you know in the body of christ that is the church in the body of christ there are Maybe those, those muscly arms that swing the sword of the spirit and, you know, dash all of these arguments that are raised. And as sometimes we can come to think that those arms that swing the sword of the spirit, those arms in the body, those are, are just the most, most important and, and about all there is. News they're not. If you consider the full armor of God, I'm not going to turn there, but you know the passage well. If you consider the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, you will find that in the full armor of God, guess what? It's those muscly arms that are exposed. Isn't it? A soldier had to be free to swing the sword, and so. Their arms, if, he'd have a shield on sometimes, but the arms are pretty much unprotected. When you read the full armor of God, the arms are, are one thing that are pretty unprotected, not so well covered. But think of this. The head, the heart, what we might call the vital organs of a body, such as the, the, uh, the lungs, the heart, the chest cavity. Guess what? Those vital organs are the best protected under the full armor of God, isn't that right? Sure they are, why? Well, if a soldier got stabbed in the arm that was unprotected, probably he'd live, but he's not gonna live at all if he gets stabbed in the lungs, is he? He gets a sword run through his lungs or his heart, he's done. So those are more protected because they're more vulnerable. They're they're weaker in the sense of more vulnerable. And so, When we consider that for the body of Christ, it is the more vulnerable members that deserve our most special attention and our greater protection, as it were, according to the word of God, right here in 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 26, as well as other places. Now, as we consider, well, who's our most vulnerable members? Think about that. Obviously, it would be our more senior members that live alone. That's who it would typically be. That would include our older single men, our older single women, our widows, and our widowers. In addition to the eight or so single men and women in this congregation, We also have nine widows. I asked somebody with a little more knowledge than me of the congregation. We have nine widows in this congregation, according to the numbers I received, and three widowers. And you know, some of those folks haven't been seen for a long, long time. And so I want us to really think about that. As I consider these things and how vital it is that each of us reach out to encourage and connect with somebody else. How about some of our most vulnerable, isolated, vital organs? You know, sometimes even living in a family, some of us, you know, that they're married and we have family around all the time, we can still feel isolated and alone. What about somebody that's living by themselves? You wanna talk about, if we can do it, they surely can. And as I thought about all of these things, I remember there was a sermon that I preached back in May of 2008 in Owatonna, Minnesota which is an hour south of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And they called me and they said, we're doing this lectureship on the family. And I'm thinking, oh, that'd be good. You know, I can talk to you know, dads about kids or I can talk about youth. And, and they said, we have a topic for you. And I'm thinking, great, I, I love to talk about family. And they said, your topic is widows and orphans. And I went, are you serious? And I thought, I drew the short straw. How am I ever gonna talk for 45 minutes? Well, you know, I can talk for, anyway. But I thought, on widows and orphans? And it was one of the most wonderful learning experiences that I have ever had in the Bible being assigned that topic. You know, when we hear the phrase widows and orphans today, we probably think more in terms of Our world today well you know it's we have orphanages where where you know the church supports orphanages and the kids go there and we think about widows maybe we think about Social Security we think about well their needs are taken care of and there's there's governmental programs and and all of those sorts of things but I want you to understand this morning God made it abundantly clear right from the very very beginning that God wants those such as our widows, orphans, not to have social security, but to have scriptural security, to have spiritual family security. You may be sitting there thinking, well, I don't know about that. I, I don't know As God is, let me tell you what. As I studied for that lesson, I, it was amazing to me how many times God came through saying he was an advocate For and defender of the weak and the powerless, the more vulnerable and the helpless, and how he continually throughout the scriptures showed concern for those today that we might say could slip through the cracks. We all all know what that means. We kind of lose sight of them somewhere along the line. God's concern is incredible, as he showed throughout his word, to make sure that those folks don't get overlooked. If I had a theme passage for this morning, it would be Psalm 68, verses five and six. Please turn there. And then I'm gonna mention some verses after this that I'm just gonna read without probably giving you time to turn there, but this is our theme verse this morning. Taking notes, you can take the later ones or back and watch the live stream. That's one of the wonderful things about that. Psalm 68, this is our theme this morning, verses five and six. You want to talk about God being concerned for the helpless especially the more vulnerable as we've spoken of listen to this Psalm 68 5 a father of the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation God sets the solitary in families did you get that those who are widows and widowers, those who are alone, those who are isolated. God has given those who are Christians us as a family. God has indeed done this. He has set the solitary in families, that is those who would obey his will and become Christians. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. We see God's concern for this particular group revealed in a number of scriptures early on. For example, Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24 says this, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child, if you afflict them in any way, this is the word of God, direct quote, if you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath shall become hot, and I will kill you with the sword, your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. That's pretty strong, ain't it? That is strong stuff from God. But it doesn't stop there. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 through 22 say this. Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. God's telling me, he said, look, you know what it's like to be helpless. You know what it's like to be hopeless. You know what it's like to be without, and I brought you out of there. And God's going to basically go on to say, so it's up to you who know what they're going through, whom I brought out and blessed to help them. I continue in that passage. Verse 19 of Deuteronomy 24, God said, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. He said, hey, you're out there and you're cultivating and you've gotten all your grain and you remember that you've left a sheaf out there? Leave it. There. Don't go get it. Leave it there. There's needy people that need that. Let them have it. Don't go back. He continues in verse 20. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Whatever is left, let them come in on your land. Let them have that. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be the, for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. See what God did? God made that book He said on the front end of that text, he said, you were slaves. You know what this is about. On the back end of it, he said, you were a slave. You know what this was about. And so in between, he says, don't treat them like you were treated bless them like you were not blessed he goes on again in deuteronomy 26 verses 12 and 13. he says when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year the year of tithing and have given it to the levite the stranger the fatherless and the widow so that they may eat within your gates and be filled Verse 13 of Deuteronomy 26. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. According to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. You need to be able to say, I have not forgotten your commandments to take care of those who are in that particular group, the fatherless, the widow, the needy. Not only have I not forgotten your commandments, I've not forgotten those people. Let me ask you a question this morning. Don't want to see this one. This means yes, this means no. Don't do that. Don't want to see any head shakes. Don't want to see any hands raised. Don't want to see any change on your face. Everybody practice. You ready? Go. Just stay that way, Okay. How many of you can think of somebody in your mind who is a widow, widower, isolated, lives alone, that you have not had any contact with who's a brother or sister in Christ for three months, five months, eight months? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 146, 5 through 10, I'm just going to give excerpts from Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10. Here are the excerpts. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, The Lord lifts up those who bow down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. If there is a group that God wants taken care of, that he keeps constant track of in their hour of distress, he has made it clear who it is. It's not just widows. It's not just orphans. There are others mentioned, but God is an advocate for those in need. Therefore, God's people... Need to not let them slip through the cracks. Need to not let them be forgotten. And as we'll get to in a few minutes, I ain't talking about money. Do we have needs other than money? Do you have needs other than money? Do you? We all do. We'll get to what I'm talking about in a few minutes. But I want you to notice again the progression. I want you to notice the progression throughout the scriptures of this. Quick passage. Two passages from Proverbs, and I'm not gonna give you that much time, just write them down. Proverbs 15, 25 tells how God will establish the boundary of the widow, while Proverbs 23, 10 and 11 warns us not to remove the ancient landmark nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. Don't take from them. You give to them, you don't take from them. They are in need. Aren't you glad that God sees people in need? Aren't you? Because you know what? Every one of us sitting here in this room right now, we're in need. We're in need of a savior. We're in need of a redeemer. We're in need of constant cleansing of the blood of Jesus. You know what God did? God said, I've got that. I'll provide that. Aren't you glad God is a giver to those in need? If you're not here this morning because you need God, why on earth are you here? And indeed, God continued to plead their case. You can turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Throughout the book, God pleads their case. In Isaiah chapter 1, it speaks of those who have forsaken God. It's God's Old Testament people. They haven't been doing what they ought to do. They've been rebelling against God. They've been rejecting his word to the point, listen to this real carefully now, they've done this to the point that God no longer is going to accept their sacrifices. Do we understand what God no longer accepting their sacrifices means? That means that when they got together for worship, in Isaiah chapter 1, God's Old Testament people, and they got together for worship under the old law, and they gave animal sacrifices and all that, you know what God said? I ain't accepting it because you ain't living right. I want nothing to do with your sacrifices. God said that in Amos. He said it in Isaiah. He said, don't, I, don't even want, I don't even want you to gather together. I don't want them. OK? They had rebelled against the Lord to the point that he no longer accepted their sacrifices or heard their prayers. That's Isaiah chapter 1. But you know what God told them they could do to turn that around? you know what God told them they could do as much as they had rejected him what he said but here's what you can do to make that right read with me Isaiah 1 16 and 17 God says this'll well let me back up to 15 Isaiah 1:15. you can see here what I just said he said when you spread out your hands I'll hide my eyes from you even though you make many prayers I won't hear your hands are full of blood and that kinda of summarizes the verses before that God said I'm not gonna hear your prayers I'm not gonna accept your worship I'm not gonna accept your sacrifices But here's how you can make it right, verse verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, here it comes, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead, for the widow. Now there were a number of things that they needed to do, but part of getting their life right and getting back on track with God was, guess what? Taking care of the needy, the oppressed, the vulnerable, putting them first. God says, here's how you can get back on track. Look at verse 21, Isaiah 1. He says, that they hadn't been doing that. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious. They're companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. And you say, they were just rotten people. Well, guess what part of that rottenness was? They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. It was as wrong for them in God's eyes to neglect those who were in need of something from them, particularly their orphans and widows, as it was to be a murderer, verse 21, to be rebellious verse 23, to be a thief, verse 23. In Isaiah 10:1 through3, God basically says there that what you do or do not do for them, in their time of need is going to be done to you in the day of punishment, Isaiah 10, one through three. If we move up into the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 223 three through five, it basically says, take care of them and prosper, or don't and perish. And apparently they chose to not take care of their needy orphans and widows and perish. We see that in a passage in Zechariah. I'll give you a minute to find Zechariah. We don't preach from that a lot. Last few small books of the Old Testament, if you go to Matthew and back up a little, you'll find Zechariah. I would ask that you turn to the seventh chapter and I will give you a moment, as I said, to get there. Apparently, the warning from Isaiah and Jeremiah to take care of the orphan and the widow, the needy amongst them, fell on deaf ears. In Zechariah chapter 7, beginning at verse 8, we read the following. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Just waiting for the pages. It's all good. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. See, there's a whole group here. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. There's another category. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so they couldn't hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of Hosts Hosts, had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. God kept telling them, you've got to take care of these people. And they kept saying, we ain't gonna do it. Thus great wrath came. Verse 13, therefore it happened. Just as he proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out and I would not listen, says the Lord. God said, look, if you ain't gonna listen to me when I tell you to do something, I ain't gonna listen to you when you pray to me. That's what happened. God said in verse 14, but I scattered them. The land became desolate after them. But they're the ones that made the pleasant land desolate, again, because they wouldn't listen to me. But God is so good and by the grace of God, his people were given one more chance. That chance would come in Christ. Malachi chapter three verses one through five prophetically tells us that they're gonna get another chance when Jesus comes. And when Jesus came, God in the flesh, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. (laughs) When he came, he made it incredibly clear as well, that his people are to take care of and provide for the widows the lonely the vulnerable amongst them that make sense does that make sense sure it does why because god doesn't change malachi 3 and verse 6 all that he was concerned about throughout the old testament he's still concerned about in the new testament same god we live under a different covenant but it's the same god what God's priority was in the Old Testament, his priority is in the New Testament. What angered God in the Old Testament angers God in the New Testament. God is God is God is God. And so it should come as no surprise to us that Jesus was moved with compassion for the harassed and the helpless, Matthew 9 in verse 36. It should not surprise us That Jesus, the one with whom God was well-pleased because he would not break a bruised reed nor snuff out a smoldering wick, Matthew 12, 18 through 21. That when that one came and while that one was here, Jesus, that in his love, in his care, in his concern for the helpless, it should come as no surprise when we read things like how in Luke 7, 11 through 15, what did he do? He raised up the widow of Nain's son. It was so hard in those days. Widows who had no family and no income were reduced to being beggars. They didn't have social security. They didn't have all this other stuff. If their family would not take care of them, they were beggars. And apparently there were some families that didn't because 1 Timothy 5, we'll get to in a few minutes, encourages the family to take care of them. But it should not surprise us that Jesus raised up her only son, probably the sole income provider for the household. It should neither surprise us that Jesus, God in the flesh, because he's so concerned with the widows, that he would mention specifically how much the widow had given who put in her last two half pennies into the temple treasury in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Nor should it surprise us that Jesus taught his disciples to have care and compassion and not let that group slip through the cracks as it were either. Consider with me, for example, in Acts chapter 6, Acts 6-1 in the following few verses is, is often a passage that we talk about when we talk about the appointment of deacons. And we're going to talk about that tonight, as a matter of fact. What a segue. Um, But we will remember that that whole occasion around which that situation revolved was what? There were widows that weren't getting fed in the daily distribution of food. When the church was first formed and they had all things together in common, there was a group of Jewish ladies, Hellenistic Jews, which is a little different from Orthodox, if you will, but they were getting neglected in the daily distribution of bread. Now... Was the church on fire in Acts 2 through 6? They were growing like wildfire, right? 3,000 baptisms the first day, are you kidding me? I'd like to see 3,000 baptisms here in a year, wouldn't you? Church was on fire. They were growing and, and, and the, the apostles were teaching and we read through Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and, and it's growing daily and daily. They're teaching from house to house and in the temple and, and all this and suddenly this issue comes up. There's this group of, of, of Hellenistic widows and they aren't, they're getting by- bypassed. Now you know it would have been real easy for the leadership at that point to say, you know what, small group, we can just kind of... Well, you know, we'll address it in a couple of weeks. Well, some of them would have probably starve by then. It would have been real easy. Wouldn't it have been easy to let that group slip through the cracks? Wouldn't it? Been real easy. But they didn't. They didn't. They addressed that, and they addressed it well, because Jesus taught his apostles in His ministry just as God taught his Old Testament people, you've got to take care of those people. And so they did. I am reminded that the beloved disciple Dorcas, Tabitha, if you will, in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 41, this this disciple, she got sick and died. Okay? Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 41. Now, I'm not real clear here on the scripture maybe because it's not real clear, but she was either a widow herself or made clothes for widows. Not sure which, doesn't matter. The bottom line was, she was raised from the dead by Peter. And again, you see that connection to the widows. And finally, James, if you'll turn with me to the book of James, chapter one. We spent a lot of time this morning in the Bible class. In James, turn there with me again if you would please. James, chapter one. James chapter 1. Young people, you want to know what God looks on as wonderful pure religion, he, he tells you. James 1 verse 27, look at it, makes it real clear, James 1 27, pure, an undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You, you, wanna, you wanna see it in a real capsulized form? There it is, God says here it is, here's what it takes. Now we, we focus a lot on keeping oneself unspotted from the world as well we should. Once we are cleansed by the blood of Christ, we need to do everything in our power to stay as clean as we can every day. Yes, we need to avoid sin, hate sin, Avoid even the appearance of sin, we're told in Thessalonians. Yes, absolutely. But did you notice that first he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. We don't focus on that a lot, and yet James puts it first. And by the way, the word visit, that little word, five-letter word visit, that doesn't mean just pop in and say, hi, how you doing, I got to go. That word visit, in the original language, carries with it the idea of addressing their needs. You know, sometimes some of our older folks have trouble with maybe, in the springtime, they, they can't get their screens in their house. We had that in Maine at one point, taking off storm windows. I don't know if you all have too many of those, but, you know, just little things. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the small things, but they need help with that. They can't move quite like they used to move, and, and, and our older folks, and especially those that live alone, they need help. And it's vital that we understand verse 27 today in light of, yes, it's specificity, but also those in need, and take care of them. Those vulnerable body parts need to be protected. I think we can see throughout the scriptures how important to God this particular group is. Remember our original reading in 1 Corinthians 12, where he said God has bestowed a greater honor on those parts, remember, because yeah. he wants all parts to be equal. So all parts need to be taken care of equally. Finally, up in 1 Timothy 5, and I'm not going to read all of this, just make some comments on it. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 16, it's where the church's responsibility, the family's responsibility first, but then the spiritual, church, spiritual family, or church's responsibility to widows. And I just want to point out a couple of things. 1 Timothy 5, in verse 3, says, honor widows who are really widows. Written by the divinely inspired pen of Paul, and, and he gives you a list of qualifications, what makes them really widows, in, in the eyes of God and in light of the scripture. But he says, honor widows who are really widows, brethren. They are to be honored, treated as one would love, treat, care for, and protect their own mother. First Timothy three two says that, by the way. Just as the Lord himself loved and treated and cared for and protected his own mother even while he was nailed to a cross, John 19, 26 and 7. If you read in 1 Timothy later on today, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, you'll see that these women are not only very precious in the eyes of God anyway, but they are also those who have faithfully and obediently served the brethren themselves just like Jesus taught, and so now when they can no longer serve others in those ways, and they're to the point that maybe they can't even serve themselves in their ways, that they reap what they've sown and that we serve them in those ways. That's the rest of 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10. And again, I say this not only in a a financial sense, but in a social sense. People living alone feel even lonelier than some of us who live in family units they need to be not isolated socially spiritually and so I would ask you this simple question and I'll give you several references to just write down to go with it here's my question any church that does not therefore for example provide a ride for its faithful widows or widowers to worship when they can no longer drive or does not call or text or contact or visit them for long periods of time to discover and address their needs, is that church therefore truly worshiping in spirit and truth as God expects? James 2, 14 through 26. First John 3, 16 through 18 John 4 17 through 21 Isaiah 1 and 1st Corinthians 11 28 and 9 As well as 12 20 through 26 that we began with In light of the Lord's commands Concerning our faithful But aging widows as well as the rest of our more vulnerable members There's a few things we need to remember brethren We don't hear sermons like this often because preachers don't preach sermons like this often and sometimes we don't think in terms of our more vulnerable that often and sometimes they get lost in the shuffle because we don't see them much and COVID has only complicated that Three things that we should remember in light of our more vulnerable members of all sorts, our responsibilities to them are not negated by so-called social security anymore then our responsibility as the church to evangelize the world can be given to a missionary society. Because that's wrong in the eyes of God too. When when the church that was told to go into all the world, preach the gospel, the church that was told to carry the message, the church that spread out in the first century and everywhere they went they told people about God, That that church does not have the right to hire out evangelism to somebody else. Not and be right with God. And neither does the church have a right in the eyes of God to just say, I ain't going to worry about them. They're receiving government help. Well, you know, the government's not going to come over and replace a busted window for them. And the government is not going to call them and tell them how much they love and miss them. And the government is not going to take them a meal now and then. Newsflash ain't going to happen. Guess who? God says, you take care of them. Second thing, we cannot use the excuse that because we live in a different time and culture that God's word on this no longer applies. You know, there's a movement in the church today to have female elders, female preachers. I don't know how the whole female elder thing works, being the husband of one wife, but I don't even want to go there. But it's, it said, you know, well, well, 1 Timothy 2, where it talks about women's roles in the church, that was written 2,000 years ago. You've got to understand, that's old stuff. We're living today, so it doesn't apply. Well, first off, that's a bogus argument because God's word is timeless. It is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, Psalm one nineteen eighty nine. God's word applies to all people in all cultures, all races, all times, forever. And God's word says, as I've explained at length this morning, you take care of the most vulnerable parts of the body. And you put them first, not last. Number three. Matthew 15, verses four through nine, Jesus got after the Pharisees yet again for something. You know what he got after them for? For not being willing to take care of the older, more vulnerable amongst them, even in their own families. You'll recall in that passage that Jesus was talking about how they justified themselves. And he said, you take this money that should have been given to your parents, and you say, that's money devoted to God. And by the way, I remember a study years ago I did on that. And when they put money that they said was devoted to God, Corbin, okay, that money was actually money that if they had a need and they wanted to use it for something, they could. It's how God provided for them. So it's kind of a hypocritical thing to say, we're gonna take this money that should be taking care of our mom and dad and our helpless and our, our older folks. We're gonna take this money, we're gonna set it aside for God, but oh, if I want something out of it, I can have it. Jesus said no. So we need again, we see again, this, this thing with, with God, where the more vulnerable, powerless, isolated, alone, loneliest, neediest parts of our body need to be well covered. They need to be protected because they are at such risk. I'll tell you what, if I'm going to, as a soldier in the army of God, protect my heart from a sword thrust or protect my arm, it's the heart that's getting covered. I can live without an arm, but I can't live without a heart. We cannot afford to let them slip through the cracks, brethren. In conclusion this morning, we are very blessed in our world today. We are extremely blessed. We are blessed to live in a country that has so many social and financial aid programs that do indeed lessen the burden on some of our very old, very young, and otherwise needy. They do, they do, and we, and we need to thank God for that, absolutely. But wherever there is a legitimate need in those areas areas and within those parameters that god is clearly established and defined in his word it is up to each member of the body the church of our lord jesus christ to do everything we possibly can to fill those needs if we would be faithful to god and his word is very clear on this and let me clarify something else make this clear to everybody at home everybody here this sermon is not Big N, big O, big T, underlined, emboldened, big print. The sermon is not preached this morning because I know of some need here that hasn't been addressed. That is not the case at all. So before anybody thinks, well, Doug must have heard something about somebody, that no, absolutely not. Okay, Let's get that out of the way. The reason I'm so adamant about it is I talked about reaching out to others in that Devo, remember? And I think that sometimes, just based on the generalities that I've talked about this morning in the Word of God, sometimes we only tend to reach out to those in our circle, right? Our age, our they do the same thing we do, either you know, they're younger family or a middle-aged family, or the, 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 the retired folks reach out to the retired folks. Again, some of you teenagers with cell phone, call somebody who's over 70. If you don't know who that is, drag out a church directory. We've all got one. If you haven't got one, see Kathy Bond. She'll get you one. Call somebody and tell them you miss them. And you know what's probably going to happen? You're probably going to, well, most of you probably do, but if you don't have an unlimited data plan, you're probably going to wish you did, because those folks probably talk your ear off, tell you how much they love you and appreciate you calling them. One of the things that should never happen in the church, ever, I don't care what age you are, I don't care which background is, one of the things that should never happen in the church in the family of God is that certain members go for weeks feeling isolated, alone, and not part of a family. That should never happen. You with me on this? This week, as you seek to make contact with several more members whom you've not seen or been in contact with for a while, let's focus our efforts on some of those older folks and lift them up. Lift them up. It'll make their day. And let us not neglect to remember their love, their service, their friendship and their fellowship as well as... Their isolation, loneliness and separation in our prayers. A lot of our older saints, like the widows in 1 Timothy 5, they have worked so hard in the church. You know so we have some brethren who worked so hard in the church and they just can't do it anymore. they can't physically do it. but they have taught Bible classes and led VBSs and they baptized people and you know and, and obviously I'm talking here, you know widows, widowers and they' and all these years of service, decades of service in the church and they've done all these wonderful things and now they're to the point where they just need somebody to hold them up. Hold them up. Who's going to do it if we don't? Hold them up. Love them. Let them know that you're grateful for their service. And if you don't know them, if you're new to the congregation and you don't know them, take out a directory. Call them up and say, hi. I don't know you, (laughs) but this is brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And blame it on the preacher. Say, Doug said I'm supposed to call somebody in the church. Well, you're the one I picked. How are you doing today? You need anything? You alone? you need a meal how are things going are you okay because i tell you what you may not know when you call them but if you do it right by the time you get done you to know a whole bunch about them, brethren that's what we need to do this week this morning if you're not part of the family of God we would love to have a new member and we'll call you okay We'd love to have a new member this morning. If you've come to the point where you understand that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, you've heard and and you know that he is, and and you know that you have sins, and and you know you can't get into heaven with those sins, God asks you to repent. Turn to him. Turn to him. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And begin begin that life in the family of God. A family that does love and care, but sometimes we just get caught up in our daily lives and forget to call, but we're not gonna do that anymore. We'd love to have you be a member of this family. And if you're a member of this family, maybe somebody listening at home, you've heard this lesson. And you're saying, hey, that guy, that girl, that woman, that man Doug's talking about, I'm that person, I haven't heard anybody. Send us a message, we will make sure. We will make sure that we don't neglect you any longer if we've missed you. We don't want to do that, it just happens, but we'll stop it from happening, won't we church? Amen. Or if you're here this morning you need the prayers of the church for anything, will you please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.